Please listen carefully. Carefully, carefully, carefully. And welcome to Utterly Moderate, a podcast where two reasonable social scientists analyze important topics by clearing away politics, opinions, and ideologies to get to the facts. I'm Allison Dagnus, a political scientist. And I'm Lawrence Eppert. I'm a sociologist. How's it going today, Allie? You know, it is uh, it is going, which already <laughs> is a good thing because it is the most horrible time of the year. It is the end of the academic year. And I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of students who are crying and they're crying, you know, with nervousness because they're graduating or they're crying with joy because they're graduating or they're crying because they can't figure out if they're going to be graduating. There's just, there are a lot of tears. There's a lot of emotion. There's, there's some cheating going on. There's some plagiarism out there. There's Ooh. it's all the feels. I mean, just the the stories this time of year are sort of banana pants. Are I'm not alone here, am I? You're sensing this. Maybe people aren't crying as much to you. Oh no, you're not alone. <laughs> this is a pretty stressful time of year for a lot of people. Uh, but uh, I think the listeners probably. Uh, I think you've piqued their interest by saying the word cheating. So you have to <laughs> give them some kind of red meat on that. Oh my gosh, I got I am lousy with stories. I got nothing but stories. Um, you know, a couple years ago, there was a, a young woman who came on the first day of class and then I never saw her again. And I thought, OK, she dropped the class. And I kept looking on, you know, our, our grading thing online and she just hadn't dropped the class. And I I looked in our official class list and she was still there. And I thought, well, that's strange. And on the day of the final exam, she came and said, you know, I had a really hard semester. Uh, so I was wondering could I still take the final? Could you just let me know what I missed <laughs> for the whole semester? Okay. But we're going to do it in real time. So uh, by my estimation, you know, you owe me about 45 hours and I'm going to use every minute of that. She was like, never mind. Um, you know, and so I think that's, you know, that's one of those great stories. But I did have, I had another, I had another kid a couple of years ago who plagiarized on an opinion paper that I asked him to write. And it was just, it was really like ham handed. It wasn't like I was very sophisticated. The opening paragraph was just practically incoherent. And then the second paragraph was perfect. And I mean, perfect with medical jargon that I had never seen before. And so I thought, <laughs> aha, and I Googled the medical jargon. And sure enough, the webpage for the National Right to Life Committee popped right up and it was just just cut and pasted right into that paper. No citation, no attribution, nothing. So I put an F at the top of it and said, please see me. And he came and he was very upset. He was crying and um, very shaky. And he sat down and I said, OK, so here's the thing. Plagiarism is when you take someone else's work and you pass it off as your own. And he said, but I didn't plagiarize. And I said, well, no, you did. And I show him the computer monitor and I show him the paper. I said, this is word for word and you didn't cite it. You didn't even have it in quotation marks. And, and so it's stealing. Like you're, you're taking somebody else's work and you're passing it off as your own. And he said, but I didn't plagiarize. And I said, no, no, I, I don't know how else to explain it to you. And he <laughs> said, no, I don't think you understand. I didn't write this paper. My mom wrote it for me. Oh, <laughs> and, and, and I was so taken aback and thought that's the funniest thing in the world. But I can't oh laugh right now. And so gosh. I said, OK, 
So your mom is a plagiarist. And also you're a plagiarist because you're taking someone else's work and passing it off as your own. Oh my God, it's a twofer. Both of you get an F. And he, um, I think was a little shocked that I had insulted his mom, which I, I, I don't really feel bad about insulting his mom. Like why are you writing somebody else's paper? Um, so he then had to submit to my withering glances of disappointment, which I was really honing at the time because my <laughs> daughters were younger, but still, you know, autonomous people. And so I was really working on that kind of like, I am so disappointed and you look, <laughs> and I really, really got it with him. Um, and he did pass the class. He got a D even with the F on the paper. And uh, he came to see me at the end and said, I just, I really appreciate you giving me another chance. And I said, well, let's not, let's not shortchange this. I also gave your mom another chance. And he said, yeah, <laughs> you did. <laughs> yes. It reminds me of the words of a great philosopher named George Costanza <laughs> who once said, Jerry, it's not a lie. If you believe it. Boy, that is so <laughs> true. Do you have anything like that? Am I the only one with stories like this? I cannot believe that I am. Oh, of course. I mean, we all do, right? Uh, I have students who will cut and paste things into their papers and won't change the font. <laughs> oh, come on. That's just lazy. <laughs> um, and I tell my students at the beginning of every semester, and I'm, I'm sure many listen, but many don't. I tell them, look, uh, when a professor is reading your work, and it switches from your perspective to that of an expert. Imagine if you were reading a book and it switched from English to Russian or English to Chinese. There's no chance you would miss it. It'd be glaringly obvious. You're switching from your point of view. None of you are experts in any of this stuff, right? How could you be? You're switching from your point of view to the point of view of somebody who's the absolute best expert on the earth about this stuff. <laughs> I'm going to notice. You know, I, I don't want to sound as if this time of the year, it's all bad, because actually, this time of the year, it's also really good, you know, when students are, are they're, they're nervous, and they're excited. And if they liked your class, they're really like warm and lovely. Um, and some of them are really funny. So at the end of a, a semester, a couple of years ago, this great kid came up to me, and he had done really well in the class, the entire semester, he handed in his final exam. And he handed me a paper and he said, 74. And I said, you think you got a 74 on the final exam? You've done so well this whole semester. And he said, nope, you dropped the F-bomb 74 times this semester. They <laughs> kept count. And he handed me this piece of paper that just had tick marks. And it was 74. And I was like, now, on the surface, that seems like a lot. He's like, oh, that's that a lot. Low. I was like, that seems low for you, actually. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I certainly think so. But, you know, I mean, we have 15 weeks. I teach three days a week. When you, when you, you know, blow it out like that, that's like what? Like one or yeah, two a semester like or one or two a class? Know? That's nothing. <laughs> that is absolutely nothing. <laughs> well, I, and you mentioned that it's not all bad this time of year. Absolutely. That when, when things go bad this time of year, they can go really bad, but, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the vast majority of the stories are really great. And for folks who are graduating, it is such a joyous time for them. You know, they're finishing this big stage in their lives and they're plotting their futures. It's a great time for their families who are celebrating them. And they're really sentimental about 
this transition in their life and moving into their next stage of adulthood. And it's just a great time. And we get to, to be a part of that with these students. One of the best events of the year is graduation. Just being able to go and observe and, and see the smiles on their faces and, and, and see how happy they are and how happy their families are and how emotional their families are. And um, one of the best things we get to do as faculty is just go to graduation and just brag to people's parents all day long about how great they are. And tell all these great stories that just fill their parents with pride. So, um, yeah, the bad stories can go horribly wrong this time of year, but they are. It, it's not most of what's going on, right? Uh, most of what's going on is really great. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It is a truly lovely time, and I find myself at graduations like getting teary, like really kind of getting very emotional on behalf of our students who are leaving because they look so excited and, you know, and their parents are all crying and I have hyperactive mirror neurons. So I'm crying and uh, <laughs> just sitting there thinking like, oh, you guys, this is going to be so great. You're going out and like our baby birds are leaving our nest. You know, they're going out into the world. Well, in all fairness, it doesn't take much to make you cry. Let me see. <laughs> Let's play a little game here. Let me see if I can, let me see if I can make you cry. Uh, can somebody cue the Sarah McLaughlin music and, and bring me a sad looking dog in here? No. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Those are the worst. <laughs> Those are the absolute worst. <laughs> uh, it, in all seriousness, though, I just recently received an email from a student and um, the student had a really tough time from what I can piece together from my various interactions with this student, um, the family life had been pretty awful for a long time. And, um, the student was thanking me and was thanking, uh, a couple other folks in our department, uh, for what we had done for, for the student and, um, was going on and on about how positive their experience was in the department and in the program. And, um, it, you know, this, this student's fam, you know, personal life, it sounds like they had been kind of left on their own by some really bad behavior and, um, you know, poor treatment. And, um, and, uh, so they ended by saying, you were there for me when my family wasn't, and you did more for me than my family did. And I actually don't know where I'd be without you guys. I, th I think you've saved my life. Oh, that is so nice. Yeah, I am crying. It is um it is amazing to me in a very good way how um how there are times that our job affords us the ability to connect with somebody in a very professional environment, but in a way that's very um comforting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, um, I wrote back to the student. I mean, I was so touched. I, uh, I wrote back to the student, and I said, uh, did you mean to send this to me? Are you drunk? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, had, I taught a, a, a gen ed class at night one time because the one time I did it. So, I mean, I am not a night person. I go to bed at like eight o'clock at night. Like I am, you know, I'm old and I get up at four 30. So I go to bed very early. I do not like teaching night classes. And I taught an intro class in, in the evening 
exactly one time. Intro at night. That's intro at night. And it was so it was, they were a bunch of wild ponies. Half of them were <laughs> drunk and the other half were high. And then I just, I was like, you know what? I'm never doing this again. It was so much fun because the drunk people just like kept the energy going. And I mean, <laughs> until they didn't, until, until, they until they just passed out. And then the high people who had always been in that kind of like angle of repose, <laughs> were looking around for a vending machine that wasn't there. It was, I mean, that was just, yeah, new. <laughs> that sounds like a wild time. I'm, uh, I'm sitting here thinking, Gosh, you know, we've brought uh, Pastor Andy on the show today to talk about Christianity in America today, and we're talking about high and drunk people. So how can we steer it back to that topic? Um, well, actually, here is a relevant and also completely nosy question, which is, how religious are you? What re- I don't even know what religion you are. What religion are you? Well, uh, I was raised Catholic. I come from a very Catholic extended family and, you know, from the outside looking in at our family, when we were really, when I was a really young kid, um, we would appear to be just as Catholic as the rest of them, you know? Um, but I'm not really actually sure looking back how connected my mother really was to her faith and, um, how connected she was to the Catholic church and just to, uh, you know, Christianity in general, um, because she kind of lost her way or lost her interest or, you know, somehow lost her connection to it over time. And, um, that really kind of bled over to us and we just kind of lost our way and I lost my way and lost my connection. Um, now with that being said, I have a deep desire to have a connection to religion. And, um, I do on some deep level have, a belief in God and, and belief in, in things beyond myself and, and, um, and do have a spirituality. Um, and without getting too deep into, you know, what I believe and, and those sorts of things. Um, I just know that in my adult life, I, I do want to find my way back. Well, um, first let me offer up two books that on the lives of my children, I swear I actually own these books and I will, I will give them to you if you, if this is important to you, I will give these to you as texts for you to study. One is The Idiot's Guide to Catholicism, and the other is Judaism for Dummies. And I have both of these things because <laughs> I am Jewish and my husband is Catholic and my our children are sort of confused. And, um, and when we first <laughs> got together, uh, and it was a long time before we got married, um, because on our first date, he said, I'm never going to get married. And I thought, challenge accepted. Uh, okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> I don't even know if I like you, but he guess really what? said that on your first date? I'm <laughs> he never did. he get said, married. I'm never going to get married. And I was hey, like, all right, honest. asshole, we're getting married. Yeah, we are so getting married. I don't know when and I don't know how, but it's going to happen. And it did. Four years later, I was like a cat on a screen wow. door. I was holding on. He could not. I was unflushable. He could not get rid of me. I was just there, just there, not letting go. And um, <laughs> you're funny. Uh, so he came from a very Catholic family as well. And um, I came from a family, I like to describe us um, as uh, sort of Jew-ish. Uh, you know, we Jesus. were, uh, well, no, we were 
Jewish. Uh, we were Jewish. Uh, so we, um, I was the first person in my family to marry outside the faith. And that is not an indication of go? anyone's religiosity. Oh my God. I brought home Pete. Are you kidding? Everybody was thrilled. They were like, okay. this guy's amazing. You know? And then my father actually was like, why would he marry you? I'm like, hi dad, I'm right here. <laughs> He's like, no, he's like this handsome single guy. He's an army officer. He's great. I was like, hi, still right here. Still oh your dog. Oh my gosh. Yep, yep, yep. And I think my dad just saw like, you know, Pete Dagnus just walking through the world as a handsome army officer and thought, yeah, why would he want to get married? I'm like, yep, still here. It's still me. Um, so that was great. But, um, Pete, you know, there's lots of fish in the sea, right? Yeah, I know. Like, you, you know, my daughter. you know, you can do quieter, right? You can do better. You can do better, you quieter. You say you can do quieter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. Um, and he's a, he's a very quiet dude. So I kind of talk and, you know, gesticulate for the both of us. Um, but, uh, so when, when we were married, it, like the religion part was much more important to his side than it was necessarily to my side, but we are a competitive people. So when, um, you know, when it came time for the wedding, we were married at Holy Trinity, which is a Catholic church in Georgetown, but we had a priest and a rabbi and um, do the service together. And actually, you know, I had gone into the entire wedding sort of thinking like, oh, I'm so excited for the wedding, whatever, we'll get through the service. But as it turns out, the service was my absolute all-time favorite part of the entire shebang. And let me tell you something, my mom was in a period so that this thing was a shebang. Holy <laughs> mother of God. Um, it was quite the wedding. Uh, and I really just loved it. Like I loved, I loved our priest, Father Lacey. He was fantastic. Um, and our rabbi uh, was there and um, he was not as good, but he sure made for some funny stories. And our rabbi was there. <laughs> our, rabbi, our rabbi showed up before he went to another <laughs> wedding. Um, he was kind of a renter rabbi, but I really, really liked the, I really liked the priest. So you know, growing up, I went to Hebrew school, I think for like one or two years. And I thoroughly enjoyed it because they sold baked goods outside of my <laughs> classroom. And the way that my parents would lure me to my religious teachings was by saying, you know, they'll have hamantaschen, which is a <laughs> triangle shaped pastry that has prune in the middle of it. And let me tell you something, I still don't get in between me and some hamantaschen. Because that is a very dangerous space. Like I will get there <laughs> fast, and I will go to Hebrew school for hamantaschen. Now I know um, if there's a pod episode I really want to do that you don't think is a good idea, I say hamantaschen, and I will be. I'll be like, "Yep, that's exactly right. We're going to do it. We can do a <laughs> podcast about hamantaschen." And I would oh, there just, you go. It would be like an hour long of me just going like, "Which is better, prune or apricot?" Um, and you know, there's really that is the question for the ages. So I want to do an episode. You're talking about quieter. I want to do an episode with the with the Dagnuses, the whole crew, the whole clan. Oh God! I want to say, what days are you guys allowed to talk? Oh my gosh! And you know, and <laughs> Caroline would just like push me out of the way, grab the microphone with both hands, and be like, "What day am I not allowed to talk? This is my house." And um, and I would love to do a podcast with all of the efforts, but I, I don't know that you could fit everybody into one room. Zoom doesn't have that capacity. It doesn't. That's so true. We don't, we would have to go through our IT guy in order to get enough cameras for a hundred people. <laughs> um, 
you were uh, talking about your books earlier, The Idiot's Guides to Catholicism and Judaism. That's really nice that you bought a book to learn about Pete's religion. That's a really nice gesture. I Well, I wanted to learn more about, you know, my husband's religion. I wanted to learn more about my religion because I didn't really know all that much. Um, and uh, I think that that speaks to our, I think, our common desire, right, to know more about religion. And um, and that also gets to the our guest today, Pastor Pastor Andy Hart, who is from Falling Spring Presbyterian Church here in Chambersburg. And we, we got to Pastor Andy um, in, in two different ways. One way was that I was having a conversation with somebody and thought, wow, you know, holidays seem to overlap a lot. Um, you know, Easter and Passover and Christmas and well, Jews know that Hanukkah really isn't that big of a holiday, but still, um, you know, I wonder if someone could make sense of this. And, you know, if we could also layer in um, Islam, that would be fantastic. And so I thought, let's find somebody, let's find a holy man. And to that end, I am friendly with a wonderful woman named Eunice, who a couple of years ago said, I really want you to meet uh, the new pastor at Falling Spring Presbyterian Church. His name is uh, Reverend Andy. He is a lapsed political scientist. And I thought, <laughs> I am in. And then COVID hit. And so I didn't get to meet him. So this was an so, excuse. Yeah, exactly. We found our holy man. And I want to know about the religious holidays. So we invited him on. And I cannot wait to have this conversation. I feel the same way. Uh Joining us today from Falling Spring Presbyterian Church in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, is Pastor Andy Hart. Pastor Andy, welcome to the show. I am excited to be here. Thank you for asking me on such a beautiful day. It's good to see uh, see the two of you and listen to the work that y'all are doing with this podcast. So it's very exciting. Oh, thank you. Um, I I have to say that we have heard. Uh, a lot about you because we we all are in the same geographic area, and Lawrence and I have quite a number of students who are your parishioners. And um, in addition to that, I also am friends with a wonderful woman named Eunice, who is just my personal hero. And um, she a couple of years ago said, "You have got." Uh, to talk to Pastor Andy. And so I reached out to you and then there was a global pandemic. And I'm not saying that the two of those things are combined. I'm just trying to give a, a timeline of what happened. Um, so because we were unable to get coffee, uh, instead, I think that it's really appropriate that we have you on our show so that we can ask you a lot of questions about religion instead. <laughs> so thank you very much for well, your time and for pivoting and our coffee. Always always excited about going down and getting some coffee. So just let me let me know. All right. Would love to walk downtown and grab some coffee. That sounds good. That sounds good. I will take you up on that. Um, Why don't we go ahead and begin with you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you became a minister, um, how you view your role in the church and also in the larger community uh, as well, please? Okay. Um, I, out of college, well, first of all, when I was out of college, I was teaching political science um, at the University of South Carolina. And then I went, 
into the computer field. I was doing a lot of work, both academically as well as personally visiting um, Quebec and Canada. And a computer firm wanted to expand pretty um, largely into Eastern Canada. So they hired me as an account manager. So I was responsible for the very small territory of Eastern Canada, which was defined as Ontario to Newfoundland. Um, I had one of those jobs where I would take off on Sunday and land basically back in the States on Friday evening. Um, and in between in Toronto or Quebec or New Brunswick or, or whatever. At that time, I began to um, work in a church and, and, and do volunteer activities in a church, get to know people. And I had the new youth pastor just graduated from um, Princeton Seminary come up to me one Sunday and say, Andy, I think you would make a great youth advisor. And I said, you've got to be kidding. I am a computer geek. I travel all over Eastern Canada. These youth don't want anything to do with me. Um, and, and she was one of those kind of people that you can never say no to. So I said, sure, I, I'll do it after some thought and some prayer and began doing it on um, Sundays. I'd fly back from Canada um, on Friday and fly out, um, in, in this case, on, on Monday. And we, were, we took a, a struggling youth program of maybe 40 uh, youth and grew it to 300 in a period of uh, two years, which was an amazing um, time of ministry. It wasn't just the two of us. It was a, a team of um, younger people. It was a great time. And in the, I guess about a year and a half after I did this, I talked to the youth pastor. And I said, you know, I really like ministry. I'm, I'm really thinking about leaving the computer field and going into ministry. And I said, I enjoy what I do. Um, I'm fairly successful in what I do, but I'm not getting the same amount of personal satisfaction that I was when I was working with um, the youth. And uh, she looked at me and she said, well, it's about, it's about time, which kind of um, threw me for a loop that somebody would say that. Um, and she said, well, I want you to do one more thing. She said, um, take a year. This is a big decision for you and talk to 100 people about your calling or what you're feeling as a call from God into ministry. She said, talk to people in the church, talk to the youth, talk to very carefully selected people in your business um, and your family and anyone, your friends. So I did that over a year. I talked to 100 people. Um, ironically, we were just talking about coffee. Um, just... Uh, drank a lot of coffee <laughs> talking to people and um they all said yeah i i really think this is something that you should go into when you talk about computers um you're you're engaged but you're not very excited but once you start talking about ministry you get really excited so i applied to princeton um seminary and was still unsure and um I guess about three months after I applied, I got my acceptance letter. And then the next day, I received another letter from financial aid that basically said, congratulations, um, you don't have to pay a dime for um, your, your theological education. So I said, yeah, I think that's a, a, a pretty strong 
signal that I needed to go. Um, I had lunch or dinner with my boss up in St. John's, Newfoundland. We were eating cod's tongues, if you can believe that. That's a very popular dish up there. It sounds like it's a lot better than it sounds. Trust me. Um, and I said, I have something to tell you. And we started talking about it. And he said, you know, I'm really not surprised because I've seen you and how happy you are working with kids. Um, so go for it. And um, he said, but I'm going to do the following. He said, uh, I'm going to keep your job open for six months. And if you hate it, you don't do well, come on back. And um, I remember I I drove uh, onto campus at Princeton and called him that afternoon after I unloaded my car and was like, I love it here. I'm not um, I'm not leaving. So that was the end of that. And it's been I graduated in 2003. And um, it has been an amazing, an amazing journey. Um, my role in the church, um, I really like to use the biblical metaphor of a shepherd within the church, where um, I take care of my congregation. And that can mean many different things, depending on the circumstances. Um, I like to sit with them and talk with them and get to know them and Ministry isn't something that happens really quickly. You have to really spend the time getting to know people and knowing the history of the place, knowing the history of um, the individual individual person. And, and that's what I really strive uh, to do. Um, I also see my, my position as working with the congregation um, to move the kingdom of God forward. Um, God has given me certain gifts and God has given other people other gifts. And I think together um, with a common vision, a common um, calling from God, we, we move um, the congregation forward and we move the advance the kingdom of God. Um, and I, I must admit, I really, really enjoy it. Um, my position within, within the community, um, I love being out in the community. I also do um, hospital chaplaincy work, um, participate in different organizations within the community, but I just like to engage the community, develop relationships, and listen, do a lot of listening about what's going on in our community and what's on um, people's minds within the community. Um, I'm not originally from Chambersburg. I'm, I'm, I'm a Philly, born and bred. Um, but I really have enjoyed my uh, six years here in, in, in Chambersburg. Can I ask a follow-up, just a, a pop-up, pop quiz question about Chambersburg? Do you know how many churches there are in Chambersburg? Because I do. I don't, I don't know the exact number. I know there's quite a few. There are. Okay, ready? We're going to, the over-under, yes, I'm dragging you into gambling now. The over-under is 100. Is it over 100 or under 100? Over. It is it's gotta be 139. Yeah, 139. Yeah, <laughs> that's a yeah. lot of churches. Yep. And the number of, of uh, Jewish temples, it's one. <laughs> uh, Pastor Andy, can you talk a little bit about the experience of trying to keep your church community going through the pandemic? I mean, I'm sure there are the heartbreaking stories of people losing connection and losing touch and, and, you know, trying to do all they can in isolation. But 
I'm sure there also are really heartwarming stories of, of perseverance and, and of your community coming together despite these these challenges. Could you talk a little bit about the, the experience of that? Yeah, I, I thank you for that question. I, I think um, the pandemic has been quite an issue for for all churches. One of the challenges that we faced um, was as a as a as a church, as a body of believers, as a organization, we really enjoyed. Um, and and thrive on being together, worshiping together, um, learning together, um, what have you, and and that was gone, and it was gone suddenly. It wasn't a gradual process. It was one weekend. Everything was fairly normal. You know, we had heard about COVID. But then maybe two weekends later, it was very different. It was a, it was a new world. Um, I also think the, the pandemic has brought a um, significant stress to our community as well as to our church. Um, fear has run amok within our community as well as um, among the different churches within the community. And those stresses have come into the church. So my the, the time that I was doing um, pastoral counseling has actually increased fairly substantially over the pandemic as people had to deal with different issues, different strains, and not being connected. Also trying to figure out, I mean, we, we all have our own ways that we like to escape. I mean, I like to be outside. I like to play basketball. But that had to take a, a totally different meaning, um, at least in the early stages of the pandemic, if not the, the later stages. Having said that, there have been some amazing things that have happened within, within the pandemic. Number one, with our church going virtual, at at one time it was all virtual. Now it's a it's a hybrid. Our reach has expanded. As much as I love Chambersburg and Shippensburg, we have people from all over the country who once in a while will tune into our services. We also have had to deal with um, doing funerals within this pandemic. And it's been heartwarming in the sense that while we grieve that people couldn't come, maybe somebody, say, from Colorado, just for the sake of argument, who couldn't make it anyway, were able to join and um, remember the person that they loved. So that, that's been really heartwarming to see that our reach has... Uh, expanded. And it's also been been heartwarming to see how our church uh, came forward and really increased our, our food bank went because there was such a need for food, how we supported each other and, and how together we really got close, um, our governing boards and our congregation, figuring this all out. Um, there, there was not a book 
in seminary, Pandemic 101. There wasn't a book we could pull off the shelf and read and figure this all out. But together, we figured it out. And we moved, we moved forward. So it's been um, very stressful. But on the other hand, it's really been great to see the community working together, uh, learning from each other, and developing new ideas uh, as, as we've moved forward uh, through this time. Um, I would like to change... Um the direction just a tiny little bit um, and admit that one of the reasons that I was really excited to have you on um, is for this topic. And I know people who are listening are going to think, aha, she's moving into politics, but I'm not. Can you help us um, <laughs> with the the big holidays <laughs> of, 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 I'm thinking like the big three, right? So um, three. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, because you know, the, I know that um, in Christianity, of course, Christmas and Easter are kind of the those are the two big, big, big ones. Um, can you mm -hmm. help us how these overlap um, or not with the holidays from the other two religions? Can you just talk to us about holidays? Because I was I was thinking that, you know, Passover and Easter, they're always so close to each other. There's got to be something there. And, and, and you're totally right. And your timing of our discussion is wonderful because we're coming out of Easter and Easter certainly on our minds and, and uh, still recovering from all the Easter candy that we ate. Um, let me just talk about the, the holidays. I mean, you mentioned two of them that the Christians celebrate Christmas and and Easter, Christmas being the, the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, Easter being the uh, resurrection of uh, Jesus Christ. Associated with Easter is Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter, which is where Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey uh, in, a, in a large procession. Uh, then that Thursday is Monday Thursday, which is where Jesus shared uh, the Lord's Supper, a common meal with his uh, disciples, was betrayed and, uh, and arrested. And then Good Friday is the day that Jesus um, was crucified. Another one is Pentecost, which is after Easter. We're, we're coming upon Pentecost. And that's when um, the Holy Spirit came upon the, the disciples in Jerusalem. Uh, the Jewish holidays, um, I grew up in an area with a um, large Jewish population. Um, actually, my best friend growing up was uh, Jewish, which was wonderful because I got to uh, learn a lot. I was actually in his bar mitzvah, which I will never forget, um, but... He celebrated um, the, the Christian holidays, and by celebrated, you know, he came over for dinner or, or what have you, and I would celebrate the, the Jewish holidays um, with him. We talked about Passover. Um, that's a very important um, Jewish holiday, which corresponds to Easter, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Uh, Sukkot, which is observing uh, God sheltering the Israelites, 
the next the next holiday uh, is is Hanukkah, centering around the temple. It's the same time as Christmas. Uh, my buddy and I used to tease each other. He would say he would give gifts every day for I believe it's, it's seven days, and then eight. I would say, "Well, I get yeah. oh sorry, eight. He and then he would say, "Well, you get it one, but you get more." We'd always we always would tease um, about that, and then Purim which is the uh, deliverance in the book of Esther. I want to mention Islam really quickly. Um, that's not really in my uh, wheelhouse. In terms of the holidays, my understanding is it is uh, Ramadan, which is what we're in right now. Um, fasting in Ramadan, where you fast until the evening and then you eat. It's one of the five pillars, one of the five main points of Islam, but there's also associated um, with Ramadan holidays, like when um, Muhammad received the Quran, breaking fast, et cetera, et cetera, as well as the Hajj, which is the annual pilgrimage to, to Mecca. But I want to I swing back to the relationship between Jewish holidays and, and Christian holidays, because they're very interconnected. Um, Number one, Jesus celebrated Jewish holidays. Jesus was Jewish, and he would celebrate Jewish holidays. For example, in the Gospel of John, scholars think that he observed a holiday in Jerusalem, Sukkot. We also see very strong connections with Passover in that, number one, when Jesus was having a meal with his disciples, um, I talked about Monday, th Thursday, it's generally thought that that meal was the Passover meal. And part of Jesus um, with the bread and the, the wine, which eventually became our um, Lord's Supper, it was part of the Passover uh, meal. It was modified a bit for uh, what Jesus wanted, Jesus felt he needed to get across to his disciples. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I, I've had the opportunity a couple times to um, observe Passover, be in a Passover meal with uh, Jewish brothers and sisters, and I absolutely love it. I find it uh, very, very, very uh, meaningful. One of the things that, that people question is, well, wait a minute, why was it that Jesus was crucified and not stoned? Um, back then, as we see from um, Stephen, as well as some other stories within the um, Bible, when there was capital punishment based on um Jewish law, the person was stoned to death. But because Jesus was tried and executed in the Passover time, the Jews could not execute during Passover. So they handed him over to the Romans to crucify him and to um, execute him. But as I said, those two holidays, Passover and Easter, as well as Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, there's a strong connection uh, to our our Jewish Jewish roots. 
Hanukkah and Christmas, there really isn't except the the timing. It's it's in December. It tends to be in December. Um, and as I've said, you know, my best friend and I, we would celebrate Christmas together and we would celebrate Hanukkah together. And um, we would have an absolutely wonderful time learning from each other and celebrating and um, just just being together. Pastor Andy, could you talk a little bit about what it's like being a Christian in America today. I was thinking about this question, particularly when you were talking about being at the seminary in Princeton. And I, I'm not sure how much folks who are studying at the seminary interact with folks who are studying at Princeton University. But, you know, I think about a lot of college students today, um, I think at least some feel a little bit shy about wearing their faith on their sleeves because um, it may not be so popular in college to do that. Um, I, I don't know. I was wondering about your thoughts on that, about being a Christian, the areas of society where maybe it's not, um, you know, trendy to, to talk about your faith and, and to really express your faith publicly. Princeton itself has a religion, uh, their own separate religion department. Um, and there's some incredible scholars. Elaine Pegels is there who teach religion. Princeton Seminary, which is um, basically on camp, you know, very close to campus, um, has its own faculty and everybody who, who goes there, um, has two, they, they tend to have two different goals. One is to become a pastor and the other, and the other tends to be to become a, an academic teaching within a, a seminary. So, I mean, I guess you can make the argument that, that we were sheltered because we really were not taking classes in the um at the university we were taking classes with um other seminarians taught by professors who were um preparing us for ministry but having said that um we were required to do field education which for me was working in a in a hospital as well as working in two churches and I think um, I, I did feel some, I, I wouldn't call it pushback as much as it, it was, um, who are you? Why are you here? I'm not really religious um, within the hospital. Um, obviously, within, within a church itself, I, I, I didn't feel that. But in my academic preparation, at least when I was in, in university at seminary, um, I didn't, I didn't really feel that. Um, and it's, and it's interesting that you said that, um, let me, let me come back to something else. Um, I went to Wake Forest university undergraduate, um, majoring in political science. And I had some, some struggles with, with religion and with faith at the time, some very serious struggles with religion and faith. And I didn't go to church. Um, for me, Sunday morning was the time to sleep off uh, Saturday night. Um, but one thing that I noticed at Wake Forest, I mean, this is back in, in the 1980s, was around 945 every Sunday, almost all the doors on campus opened up and people were leaving those people going to church. And I think it was that atmosphere that really brought me back into the church. 
Um, I mean, that may have changed. 1984, 1985 is a long time ago. Um, and Wake Forest is in North Carolina, which is part of the part of the so-called Bible Belt. But at Princeton, I didn't feel it at all because it was a seminary community. But within the Wake Forest community, my friends um, observing what was going on really brought me back to the church, brought me back to faith and was encouraged by a lot of my um, friends. What do you think about a recent um, study from Pew just dropped that showed that Americans are at their lowest levels of reporting um, uh, membership in any kind of house of worship, down from 50% in 2018 and 70% in 1999. Um, So now we're at 47%. And why do you think that has happened um, and do you think it's a, it's a problem? Do you think it's a phase? What are your, what are your thoughts about that? Well, my, my, my first, my first question, uh, comma professors is I'd like to look at how the poll was done. Where was the poll? Where, where were the questions asked? Where were the question? What were the questions? But having said that, I think there's a couple of reasons, a couple of things going on here. Number one, not only within the religious community, but also in many different nonprofit organizations, we are seeing more and more of a decline in membership. For example, um, Rotary Clubs, Lions Clubs, Kiwanis Clubs, all these different organizations that were so strong back in the 50s and, and somewhat in the 60s are really declining, I mean, almost to the point of non-existence. And I think the same features, if you will, the same forces that are influencing the general decline in um, these clubs and the churches, it's all the same thing. But, the, you know, the question, of course, is, okay, what is going on? Um, I think, number one, at least for churches, even back when I was growing up, there was a, a strong social convention to go to church. You go to church on Sunday morning. That's just what you do. I mean, I remember I, I worked at a golf course as a caddy, and I, I learned a lot about life being a caddy. I'm just going to say that. But um, my caddy, the, the guy who who oversaw the caddies, he's called a caddy master. Every Sunday he would say, did you go to church? You don't have that anymore. Um, for a lot of reasons, I, when I, maybe it's where I was growing up, but Sunday morning, there was nothing else to do except go to church and Sunday school and what have you. But these days we have sports, we have different organizations that have moved to doing things on, um, Sunday morning. Um, I'm a father of four children. Uh, two girls and two boys. Um, and one of the challenges that we've always had is, well, wait a minute, what's going to happen if a person, one of the kids wants to play baseball and the only time they can practice is on Sunday morning? There's so much, so many other things to do. Um, we also have a very mobile society. 
um, a society where you may be in Shippensburg for X number of years and then your company calls you to, um, I don't know, Minnesota for X number of years. So I think that's these are all things that are contributing to the, the decline that, that we see. I think there's, there's general issues that are influencing all nonprofit societies as well as some things that are um, influencing churches. Do I see it as a problem? Do I see it as a phase? I like to use the word challenge. Um, I like to engage with people to try to figure out, well, why is it that you're not, you're not coming? What, what do you, what do you need? What, what do you, what are the reasons behind uh, you not actually physically coming? And then thinking about that, how can we as a community, how can we as the body of Christ respond to those needs, respond to those concerns so that we can um, encourage people to um, engage and and participate? Um, I think another question that, that I would want to ask and, and, and would want to engage with someone is, well, let's, let's not start so much with um, joining a church or joining any organization as opposed to, let's talk about more of an engagement with, tell me a little bit about uh, your faith. Tell me about how you've seen God in your life, how you don't see God. Do you feel close to God? Do you not feel close to God? Um, where is God in this pandemic? You know, all these questions, I think that's, to me at least, that's a very important question. I, I really want to know what, what people are, are, are feeling, what people are thinking. Um, and then when we see people who aren't engaging, um, again, let's, let's talk about that. Let's figure it out. I will say um, kind of underneath the radar in that, for years now, Protestant churches uh, have been showing a decline. The Pew Gallup poll actually shows an increase, so it's not all bad. Um, but I, I think it's a it's general decline that the church has to engage with in conversation, not judgment, conversation, and the church needs to say, okay, what do we need to do as a as a community? to engage these people who aren't coming or maybe who aren't even um, responding to the message of, of faith. So um, I, I, I see it as a challenge trying to figure this all out. It's, it's, um, it's, it's exciting. Um, what's it going to look like? We talked a little bit about the, the pandemic. What does the post-pandemic look like? Um, how, do, how do we do... Church with with these pieces of cloth, um, the whole nine yards. I mean, I, I, one of the things that that I miss is I can when I'm preaching, I, I could uh, see what people, how people are reacting by their facial expressions. But these days, I can't see much, <laughs> which is a little bit frustrating. Pastor Andy, besides attendance, are there other changes that you've seen in Christianity in America? over the course of your life? And that's not a loaded question that could be positive or negative, but um, apart from, you know, church attendance, apart from religious affiliation, 
Um, have you seen Christianity change in America over the course of your life? And, and if so, how? I, I think some of the changes, I, when, I, when I was thinking about that, I think, um, you know, it, it, it was interesting to me, um, and maybe this is a, just a, a Chambersburg um, dynamic, but when I was growing up, and this is into um, my college years, there were debates about religion within the public uh, sphere. In other words, um, we would discuss whether or not, um, or, or debate, can we at our public school um, winter concert, can we sing Christmas carols? Can we call um, winter or winter break, Christmas break or, or winter break? And that, that was debated within our community and it was debated within our, our, our society growing up. Um, also, when I went to, well, back in high school, I took um, biology and there was a strong group that believed that not only should you teach evolution, but you also should teach uh, creationism, which, of course, went to the, the school board and, and so on and so forth. I also saw that in college, uh, again, when I was I went to Wake Forest and, and I will never forget this. Um, so I had a wonderful biology professor. He's actually still teaching um, at Wake Forest. And um, he, he got up and he said, okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to start teaching evolution. Um, and he began. And this uh, girl who I was kind of interested in dating, but didn't after this stood up and tried to shout him down reading from Genesis. Um, and I, I don't, maybe I'm just, maybe my, my head's in the sand right now, but I don't, um, I don't feel that at all within, within this community or, or any community. I didn't feel it on Long Island. I didn't feel it um, in South Carolina. So I'm not sure if it's gone underground, if it's still there, or if it's been, um, if there are other things that have, have, have taken the pla its place. I think a, a, another thing, we didn't have computers, we didn't have phones, the whole digital technological revolution. What does that look like in the church? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, there was there was never a, a discussion of how can um, how can we be sure that our our services are are cast are are cast over over uh, over the internet and I think you know an another issue with texting and um, whatever else we may do within social social media or or technology is we're very we're getting used to very quick messages um and sermons are never quick so that's something that you need to, we need to think through well populations used to quick text quick snapchat what have you how do we deliver deliver our message 
but provide the the needed um, theology, theology and, and, and biblical understanding um, behind it. Um, I, I, I think also just the the presence within communities of uh, churches um, and and the influence of churches, I think, is a, is another thing that that's shifted over the years. Um, you know, I, part of that too, I mean, not growing up, but I mentioned when I was working in Canada, when I was working in Canada, church, basically not a lot of people went to church in Canada when I was working. And, and that was sort of interesting to me, but I think, I think the broad things for me, at least number one was the, um, the change within the debate. Number two, the uh, digital revolution. And I think number three, the position of the church, the position of the um, of religion w- within society. Um, and as as societies changed, um, you know, we can spend a lot of time talking about how societies changed since uh, I grew up. Um, how has how has um, church church changed theologically i mean we we still um are having the same discussions and and um debates that really that really hasn't um created new new um questions um although new things within our society new things within our culture have created new new questions like homosexuality uh within a church um, and within um, all of the different um, religions within the world. You know, the the stuff that I study and I give a lot of talks on really has a lot to do with polarization. And um, at the end of, of every, you know, pitch I give, people will ask, what can we do? And I, I um, steal, but with attribution, a an expression from, I, I think it's a church expression that it's really hard to hate up close. Um, and... You know, that's the idea that when you are congregating with people, if you're meeting people, then you you see that they are more than just one thing. And so um, if we are increasingly wrapping our our identity in um, in our politics instead of in other important social identifiers and organizations and groupings and, you know, ways that we can be connected, um, it seems to me that that is a recipe for discord if not disaster um and and what are your thoughts about that number one uh it's interesting when you think about american history and you think about strong times of polarization i'm thinking mainly of the 60s and during the civil war those were times where religion was quite strong and it would be interesting to have a, a discussion as to um, how did religion contribute or how did religion uh, contribute a problem to the social aspect uh, of the time? Um, one of the things that I believe in, um, and, and I've had talks with, my, uh, with my, a lot of my colleagues about this, is di- the difference between the real person and the digital person. Um, and this influences uh, 
universities, churches, synagogues, mosques, what have you, in that the real person, someone that I'm seeing one-on-one that's, that's sitting across from me, we may act differently than the, the digital person who's someone that I can't see. Like, I mean, I understand the technology, but right now I can't see the two of you. Um, so that may result in me doing things or saying things that I normally would not do. Um, and I think the, it, it's an interesting question for the church uh, or the synagogue or the mosque to think to itself, okay, well, we're used to dealing with, and this is uh, pre-pandemic, we're used to dealing with the real person. How do we deliver? How do we work on? How do we engage this digital persona so that um, the teachings of community, the teachings of love, the teaching of forgiveness, the teaching of confession, the teaching of being in the same body gets extended into the uh, digital person. Because it's easy, I think, these days um, with the with the idea of the digital person to just spout off and you don't have to worry about somebody taking your head off um, or 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 punching you or, or what have you. But um, I think it's an, it's a question that we have as um, within the religious community of how we deal with this new reality of people living in both the, the, the real world where they may be less likely to um, act out, if you will, because they're seeing other people or the digital world where they may be more likely to, uh, act out. Pastor Andy, what are some of the things that you would want non-religious people to know about being religious? Well, thanks for that question. I want to answer that with, uh, two stories, um, and then a, a short explanation. The, the first is I was a graduate student in political science, uh, at the university of South Carolina um, that's where I got those, those models from when I was teaching in comparative politics. And I remember I used to go up to the, the Columbia YMCA and um, play basketball. And, and one afternoon I was uh, p- played a, a, a pickup game with an individual. Um, and it was probably the roughest uh, pickup game I've ever played in my life. Um, I think I was bleeding after it. But anyway, after we were done, um, the guy turned to me and he said, are you saved? And I was a little bit frustrated. And I said, saved from what? Your fouls? And he said, no, are you saved? Um, do you believe in, in Jesus Christ? Second story, um, I was working in Cubeville, um, which is what we used to call our, our office in a computer company. And um, I had two weeks of vacation. And I took my two weeks, and when I came back, the guy across the way who I, I was pretty close friends with said, "Well, how was vacation? My gosh, your 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 suntan, your sunburned. You you have a million mosquito bites, and you look exhausted. What did you do?" And I told him that I had been um, to to camp with a, with hundreds of teenagers, um, a church camp. 
And he said, you're crazy, man. What are you doing? And that led to a really good discussion about um, religion. And, and I, I think the first thing that I'd say to a non-religious person, I probably wouldn't know they're non-religious for a while because I want to talk to them about Shippensburg football or I want to talk to them about what's going on in Chambersburg or uh, who knows what else. And then, and then through that, get to know them, develop a relationship with them, get coffee, and then bring religion in, um, into the conversation. I think there's a, there's a stereotype um, of religious people that were like the guy on that basketball court. And I just would, would want to say to non-religious people, we're not. Um, religious people like to engage with other people and develop relationships and, and learn about them. And that and that's very important. And then bring religion into the conversation as a conversation piece. Um, so I, I, I think it's I think it's really important not to be the guy on the basketball court, not only from a basketball perspective, from a religious perspective. But I think it's important, especially in these polarized times for us to talk, develop relationships um, learn from each other and um, bring in religion into the discussion and and go from there. Ah, oh, that was so good. Oh, Pastor Andy, thank you so much. I really love this conversation. Whoa. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Utterly Moderate Podcast. Before we go, we want to remind you to visit our website, utterlymoderatenetwork.com. There you can find all of our podcast episodes and their companion resources, our guide to reliable news outlets, the contact page where you can suggest topics for future shows, and more. That's UtterlyModerateNetwork.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us on our next episode. And until then, we'll play you out with friends of the show, the Riders in the Sky. Happy trails to you until we meet. Again, happy trails to you. Keep smiling until then. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather. Happy trails to you till we meet again. trails to you until we meet again happy trails to you keep smiling until then who cares about the clouds when we're together 
Just sing the song and bring the sunny weather Happy trails to you Till we meet again Goodbye, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you